This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, what are the biggest lessons in leadership? Now, we usually record before a live audience, but due to coronavirus restrictions, today we have an online audience. We're asking today's big question to Andrew Scipioni. Andrew joined the New South Wales Police Force in 1980. He was appointed New South Wales Commissioner of Police in 2007, where he served amid some of the most challenging events in Australia's history, including the Lint Cafe siege in December 2014, before his retirement in 2017. Andrew has been awarded the Australian Police Medal and the National Medal. He loves his family and fishing. And he joins me now, Andrew. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Nice to be here. That's great. Now, Andrew, you love fishing. So is there anything that fishing can teach us about leadership? Yeah, well, look, I do love my fishing. Um, I've learned a lot of really important things from my time as a fisherman. And uh, I guess as you reflect and relax and you go to that place where you can uh, just chill, I've learned some, uh, some really good things that I've come to realise now there's a very fine line between fishing and just sitting in a boat like an idiot you know you can <laughs> and get nothing i've learned that men and fish are very similar they both get into trouble when they uh, open their mouths at the wrong time <laughs> um you know it's uh, it's been a great time for me and i've learned so much from fishing just in terms of um reflection mm. interestingly um I came to that point in my leadership where I needed to work out what it was that I was going to do based on what I'd learned from Winston Churchill. Churchill had uh, a propensity to paint in the middle of the, the Second World War when things were at their darkest for England. He used to talk about just going and painting. Um, it used to get his mind off things. Mm. What he did say was it doesn't matter what you do, whether you paint or whether you fish, you've just got to go and do it because it's what allows you to, to normalise. And so um, my time in fishing was really important. So there's a, there's, a, there's a time when you're a leader to take some time out perhaps. Uh, that's actually a, a valuable thing to be, not be always on all the time. Absolutely. You can't be on all the time. Mm. Well, thank you, Andrew. We're really looking forward to what you have to say to us today. Uh, and to kick off bigger questions, we usually like to ask a couple of smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today we're asking Andrew Scipioni some big questions about leadership. So, Andrew, I thought we'd test you with our smaller questions today on leadership lessons from history's worst leaders. Right. Okay, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, CEO magazine wrote an article, Lessons from History's Worst CEOs. It describes one of these CEOs, Kay Whitmore, who was the CEO of Kodak in the early 1990s. What did Whitmore do in a meeting with Bill Gates in 1990 where they were discussing integrating the company's products with Windows? Was it A, he wore a giant chicken costume? Was it B, he let out an enormous burp? Was it C, he said that Apple was better than Windows? Or was it D, he fell asleep? Look, any of those could, could be the, the winner there, but let's go for the most outrageous. I've learned that the most outrageous often sometimes happens. So perhaps he wore the chicken uniform? The chicken <laughs> well, maybe not quite as outrageous as that, actually. The actual answer was D, he fell asleep, unfortunately, um, which is perhaps representative of Kodak for they actually developed the digital camera in 1975 but didn't take the technology seriously. Perhaps they fell asleep, failed to invest. And as digital started to take over the world, the company fell into decline. So the leadership lesson was that Whitmore failed to completely see the opportunities in the digital world. And I suppose it's a lesson to also not fall asleep in meetings. Now, have you ever fallen asleep in a meeting, 
Andrew? Uh, probably one of my own. <laughs> okay, but you were the chair. That's right. Okay, so that's a lesson for leadership, is it, to not be boring? Don't be boring. Whatever you <laughs> Don't be boring. Okay. Wear a chicken suit. Okay, that would, would that go well in the police force, do you think, if someone wore a giant... No, I wouldn't, but they'd never fall asleep. <laughs> okay, well, question two. We'll see how you go. See if we can get you to pause. Right. Darlene Druyan was a career civil servant and widely recognised as the most knowledgeable and powerful procurement official in the US Air Force. She was highly capable, highly respected and responsible for $30 billion in new weapon systems. So why was she sent to prison? Was it A, she shot someone who disagreed with her? Was it B, she favoured the Boeing company in multi-billion dollar Pentagon contracts while seeking jobs at the company for herself and her family? Was it C, she said that Apple was better than Windows? Or D, she fell asleep? Well, let's stay with the theme. She fell asleep. <laughs> she went to jail for falling asleep. That's not a crime. Well, it was actually the actual answer was B. Uh, she actually favoured Boeing in a multi-billion dollar Pentagon contracts while seeking uh, jobs for herself and her family. And then she also misled investigators, which resulted in her sentence being increased. So, Andrew, maybe you'll need to find somebody else to lead the trivia team. Uh, if you didn't get any of our smaller questions right, unfortunately... But if there was a live audience here, we'd normally give you an applause. Um, but maybe we could just, you know, say better luck next time, perhaps. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. <laughs> okay, sure. So, Andrew, most poor leaders don't necessarily end up in prison. But how important is learning from your mistakes in leadership? Well, I, I, I used to live by the notion that you should learn from mistakes, preferably someone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, mistakes are far often the, you don't want to go through them. Yeah too painful for many, many people. And so if people have been there before you, why not learn from them? So, yeah, it's all about learning. It's all about adding to, uh, to your, your knowledge. And so, you know, when you get a chance to look at the mistakes of others, um, it does make it far less painful. Mm. So what do you think we could learn from the mistakes of these two examples of, of poor leadership? Um, someone who's sub- subject to corruption, someone who's just been lazy and fa- fell asleep at the wheel, so to speak. What do you think are some of the big lessons we could learn from them? Well, I think in terms of the corruption, you know, the, the, the reality in, in leadership is that it's all about character. Mm-hmm. If you come in with flawed character, then you're going to have problems. Um, you know, the choices you make are the things that will determine the outcome. And so, you know, my, from my experience, um, you know, make good choices. You'll, you'll have a good career if you make good choices. Poor choices will often be the, the beginning of, and it will continue um, as long as you are a leader, poor choices will will take you down the path of destruction. It's just mm. uh, it's not good to watch. So how can you tell if a choice is good or bad? Well, I guess you know within yourself um, whether your choice is good or bad. It's it, you know the, I, I talked on the, the the word I just touched on the word character. Character is a really interesting thing. When we start looking for people, when we employ people, we often look for the wrong things. Um, I used to look for skill sets as an organisation. We would, we would look for skill sets as the primary driver. I've come to learn that that may not necessarily be the, the best guide for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would, lots of companies employ based on skill sets, but they generally fire or dismiss based on character flaws. Mm. So perhaps what we need to do is in order to reduce that, that throughput, start hiring based on character, and we can build on the skill sets. Well, I suppose that was exactly the problem with, um, with Darlene Druyan as well because it was her character which she ended up going to prison. Like That was the reason she went to prison. It wasn't because she wasn't able to do a job um, particularly well. Now, management guru Peter Drucker once said, management is doing things right, leadership is doing the right things. 
So then, so, so do you want to unpack a bit more about how essential character is in, in leadership? Well, look, I, I mean, the character that I'm talking about is something that's deep within you. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that is, is most important in the decisions you make. You know, it's things like motive is really important in leadership. It's, it's so important that what you do is because it's for the collective good. And, and so, you know, the whole notion of doing things the right way comes from understanding what the right way is. Now, I've had to reflect on that. And, mm. and certainly in my life as a Christian man, I've been blessed in that I've had this wonderful, wonderful um, text on leadership and on management um, and on guidance that is available to everyone, and it's called the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, I had so many lessons there, rich, rich lessons. I, I seem to think that most leadership um, scripts are written as a result of the Bible. They take the lessons that come from um, the Bible and actually put them into today's settings and, and um, you know, the good part of it for me was that I made a decision to become a Christian man at 14. And so at 14, I had access to this wealth of resource that I was able to apply. So what made you make that decision? Like what made you think that the Bible was going to be a useful textbook uh, for life? So I can recall actually at university, I was challenged by my professor who uh, was teaching us around uh, leadership and, and was he, he posed a question to us. He said, you've got to work out as, as you know, upcoming leaders, what sort of style you want to use. So you need to understand the style of leadership that you're bringing and, and get some, some very good, um, if you like, reflections in your own mind to, to start dealing with the issues that you will be dealing with. And I sat down and looked at, at um, some of the styles that were around and published. And, and I looked at um, the servant leadership model and I, looked that in some depth and when I considered what it brought to uh, the person that would be applying it, I realized, hang on, most of this is coming out of God's word. This is coming out of the Bible. Mm. You know, the notion of, of fairness, the notion of doing the right thing, the notion of being humble in serving others rather than serving yourself. And I realized then that the most important text that I would ever have is the one that sits on the right side of my, uh, bed where I get a chance to read it daily and from that point on I've, I've actually endeavoured whenever I could to use those godly lessons into the way I actually administered my life and those that were part of the, the police force. Mm. There is a Bible verse which is important to you. It's from the Old Testament uh, book of Micah which is written in the 8th century BC uh, to the nation of Israel who disobeyed God and God was threatening judgment. In light of this, uh, Micah writes about what God desires. He doesn't want ritualistic sacrifices. Instead, in verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, Andrew, that just uh, unpacks some of the ideas in which you've just mentioned there about the way that the Bible perhaps has influenced leadership styles. Now, you served in the police force for nearly 40 years. So how can you unpack a bit more how that verse was significant for you? It was really significant, and, and that was probably a verse that I first came across as a young Christian, as a teenage man, and, and realised that this was a pretty good instruction. It, would, it, it stood the test of time, and it was something that might help me in my journey. Um, so so I, I actually had to start unpacking that, but particularly when I joined the police force as a young man, I had to start thinking through how that would apply in 
my today speak, how it would apply in the police setting. Mm-hmm. And the notion of you know, acting justly for me was about just doing the right thing. Mm. You know, but, but aren't you in the police force? Isn't that part of what your job is to do the right thing and to enforce that? Yeah, there are. But, the, you know, people have choices. History would tell us that, you know, people um, that have choices can sometimes make the wrong choice. You know, I realise that God uses people who fail because there aren't any, aren't any other kind of people around. Mm-hmm. And so just because I had a faith didn't mean that I was going to get it right. In fact, it means that I'm, you know, I'm more understanding now that I'm not going to get it right every time. But I thought that, you know, it, it was so important that on every occasion, questioning my motives, that I did the right thing. And so that was pretty clear cut for me. That was okay. The notion of act justly was, was no problem. The other... Um, two parts, the act with mercy, you know, like show mercy. Mm. That was interesting in that there were many people in my own church setting that would talk about that with me and we'd talk about things like, well, doesn't that mean you let people go when they do the wrong thing? Mm. To which I said, no, 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 it's not about that at all. Mercy's mercy's about um, giving people a fair go, not letting them go. Because at the end of the day, if you don't confront people, they're never going to change what they do that's not acceptable within community. It also talks about humility. Oh, yeah, sorry. humility was a really interesting one. Um, you know, somebody once said to me, well, in cop speak, isn't that just don't get a big head? And I sort of said, well, look, um, you know, it could be, but I think there was more to that. I think humility was about not so much about um, thinking about yourself, but thinking less about yourself. Mm. Um, to be humble is a really, really important thing because if I think less about me and I think more about you in my humility... I can make a significant difference. And, you know, if I can serve you as, as a community member, then I'm still acting with humility because I know that, that you know, I have authority and authority is sometimes um, very, very difficult to deal with, particularly if you're dealing with somebody that's coming from um, a criminal background who really, they just don't believe you. They don't think you're the real deal. They think you're out to get them no matter what. You're not going to be fair. You're just going to try and nail them. And so, you know, that was really important for me to keep coming back to God's word in terms of humility. Mm. So your faith made a real difference then in the way that you led? Oh, yeah. Look, particularly um, in the last 10 years, but through my career, if I I didn't have the faith that I did, um, I doubt whether I'd be sitting here talking to you today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't think so? No, I don't. I don't. Mm. Look, God made a way. the life lessons that I <clears throat> learned through my uh, <clears throat> relationship with him were the things that set me on the, on the, the journey, if you like. And, um, you know, I, I realised that I couldn't do this on my own. This was not about me. Mm-hmm. Now, my, my calling was what God put before me. That was his plan A. He didn't have a plan B for me. Uh, you know, he didn't let me in on the, on the, the secret that was a matter of going from step to step to step, not knowing where the journey would end. Mm. So my job throughout all of this in my career has been not to open doors, but to simply walk through the doors that he's opened for me. And so without my faith, I doubt whether my family would be the family it is today mm. because it's what, it, it's what anchored me in terms of a lot of the things that I did, the decisions that I made outside that influenced what happened inside my home and with those that I loved and cared for. Um, 
So look, I'm certain that my faith, without my faith, I would not have been um, the man that I am. And certainly I, I doubt whether I would have been uh, the, the person professionally I was. And I, as I said, I don't think I'd be here talking to you today, Rob. <laughs> no, thank you, Andrew. Um, now you are, you did work in the public service, uh, the New South Wales Police Force. Um, so uh, how, how do you go about leading in that particular context? Are there any particular tips or ways that you went about leading in that particular space? Well, I'm not sure about the general public service, but I can tell you about the public service that's known as the police force. There's some really important notions of, of what you should hang on to. You should never, ever forget where you've come from. I started as a probationary constable. I can remember uh, running around our, our training ground at uh, the police academy and, and being squawked at by a very cranky old sergeant who I thought was, you know, going over the top, but I now realised he was instilling into us discipline and an understanding of um, authority. <clears throat> and he said to me, he said, see those police dogs over there? You're lower in rank than those police dogs. Um, I didn't think it was funny at the time. I do now as I reflect on it. Uh, I, I know that my time as a servant of the public was exactly that. I was there to serve them, but I had to work with people who were part of our team. So I never forgot where I come from. I started down there. I also learned that, um, you know, I should make sure that I always feel responsible for the people that I was in command of. Mm. So I had that, that sense of responsibility for, for those that were working for me. Um, you know, and as a commissioner, when I finished, the New South Wales Police Force was an organisation of over 21,000 people. Mm. It was a big organisation and I was responsible for all of them. So is that where humility comes in and makes it, is, is really important, as you've just outlined, but don't forget where you've come from? Absolutely. And, and you know, that was what it was about, understanding that these people are in positions where they have to make judgement calls that no one would want to make. They're, they're going forward into situations that everyone else would be turning around and running away from and we're expecting them to go in um, under enormous pressure with all sorts of... Um, issues happening around them and make judgment calls that are made in split seconds, not with 2020 hindsight. You know, it's really easy to sit back after the event when the fog clears to, um, to see what the black and white issues are and what decisions need to be made. Maybe we could uh, uh, reflect on one of those incidents which perhaps where you've reflected with 2020 hindsight, so to speak, uh, possibly one of the most challenging experiences of your leadership career, which was the Lint Cafe siege of December 2014, uh, when a lone gunman held hostage 10 customers and eight employers of a Lint chocolate cafe in the centre of Sydney. So, now, Andrew, do you remember where you were when you first heard news of this siege? Yeah, I do. I was, uh, it was about 8.30 in the morning um, and, and I was in a... a a briefing. I'd just taken a briefing. I'd come out and I was then talking to uh, an agency that, that um, we had some interaction with on a regular basis. And during the middle of that, my chief of staff came into the room, indicated that there was an issue, that something was happening down in the, uh, the city. It looked like it was a, uh, a siege situation, may have been an armed robbery gone wrong, but there was very little information coming. And from that point forward, it escalated. Mm, mm. and uh, it became what, what's known as the, uh, the Lynch Siege. Yes, yeah. So you were Commissioner of the New South Wales Police Force at the time, so obviously you're, you're the boss. So what's going through your head as the situation unfolds? Oh, well, look, once it became clear that this was a terrorist-related event, 
um, there are many, many things that needed to be kicked into action. And, you know, there are tried and tested and exercised plans involving the Commonwealth government, the state government, um, a range of state agencies. We pulled together the, the emergency uh, teams that had to start thinking through um, the wider ramifications. Uh, I was engaging with the Prime Minister and the Premier in terms of setting up the leadership arrangements, moving people to locations. Um, from a commissioner's perspective, that's quite well um, tested. Mm -hmm. Things that were happening on the ground, the police were having to make assessments. They were evacuating areas. They were checking out other sites because there were a number of suggestions and uh, reports of, of other potential terrorists uh, that were uh, activities that were underway. So it was a very busy, hectic time. Yeah. So what was the, the you think, the greatest test to your leadership skills that that uh, siege brought to you? Look, I, I think um, when you're in a situation like that, communities look to their leaders for certainty. You need to um, be there for communities because not only did I serve the 21,000 men and women that were the police force sworn and unsworn, I also had to serve you know, the almost 8 million people that were the community of New South Wales and then threw into a wider setting into Australia and globally. So, you know, some of the biggest challenges were the messaging, how we actually got to give people an understanding that this is okay, that it is in control, that we will resolve it. We don't know what the outcome will be, but we're going to be working as best we can to try and resolve this without having to resort to the use of any force but if at the end of the day we needed to, then we had to. And so, you know, those were challenges, trying to communicate within different communities because different communities had different needs, being able to, to ensure that people didn't overreact and we didn't have vigilante activities on the streets. Um, at the same token, trying to settle the, the questions that would be in the minds of um, those within some of the community that, thought we just simply needed to go in there and, and finish it very quickly using force. That was a tension, make no doubt about it, because that was what was sitting in the minds of community. Mm. So obviously it's a challenging decision-making environment, also uh, working under extreme pressure. What helped you? All right, look, uh, I'll come back to where I started. My faith served an enormous part in terms of me making the decisions I did, working through and, and getting resolutions that we did talking with those that were affected, their communities, dealing with media, looking after the police that were involved, giving them the comfort to know that, that I was a commissioner that would stand firm in support of the officers, you know, if, the, if they were using honourable police enforcement tactics and, and if they came under fire both from those that uh, were, would want to see them hurt, like any terrorist activity, or even those that might want to criticise them later on. You know, I needed to, to do that with an authority and I brought to that my, my authority that I, I bring from Jesus. At the end of the day, it was my, my Christ-like authority that gave me the confidence to actually do what had to be done. Mm. Um, you know, that's not to say that there weren't times when you were tested or that, you know, you had concerns that were, were uh, mounting, but it was good to know that I could go back to my roots, to my firm belief and, and, and trust in God and, um, and, and just rest there and wait mm. and see what happened. And that made a big difference for you? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Now, for someone who may not be so familiar with Jesus, do you think it's worth reading a, a gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus, to learn more about him? 
Yeah, absolutely. You pick up you pick up the book of John and have a read about that, um, and understand. You know, like you know, the virtues that he was leaving us um, were things like um, honesty, embracing justice, fairness, being reasonable, um, trust, understanding what it was like to trust. Uh, you know, these are the things. These are the very things that anyone that wants a leader would want. He was teaching us how to be courageous through all of the adversity he went through. You know, if there's one really key ingredient in leadership, it's being courageous. You know, we all want courageous, genuine leaders. And that's what he was. A couple of questions have come in from our text line from our online audience. Um, one is, you were a young commissioner. How did you get there so quick? Well, as I said, uh, it wasn't really, it was not of my doing. I, um, I went through every rank in the New South Wales Police Force, as I said, starting from the rank just below um, a police dog in terms of uh, being a probation <laughs> working through to, to be the, the commissioner. I was the 21st police commissioner in the history of uh, the New South Wales Police Force, which is a very old police force. It's the oldest in the nation. So, um, yeah, look, I did say earlier, my job, look, I, I never saw success as being... Um, a destination it was a journey so I was always really more concerned about giving my very best every day to what I was doing um, I didn't open those doors God did all I could do was walk through them and yes yeah, so as you said 2007 I was promoted and um, humbly I, I still to this day realize that my time in that office was not about me it was about what God was doing through me and I guess it wasn't a it wasn't a career it was a calling um, and, you know, on that basis, um, I don't really know what the answer is. Uh, but what I do know is that um, when God opens a door, you should just walk through it. Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, what are the biggest lessons in leadership? Well, if, if I had to come back to one lesson, it's something that, that, that we've talked about right throughout our time today. It's me understanding that this was, this was not about me. It was all about God. So I guess the biggest lesson I've learned is that the, the, more I, the more I was pressed, the more I turned back into um, the God of the Bible. Um, and without that, I could never have done what I did. So, you know, for me, it was that the greatest lesson was give your heart to God. He can do with it what he needs to. Um, he will never forsake you. He won't let you down. He'll give you what you need. Um, you will achieve. Um, you know, your, your call is not to be successful as a leader, but in my life, it was a call to be obedient. And, uh, and that obedience brought me to the point where I was able to retire and, um, you know, thank God I'm still in one piece and, and still functioning. So the greatest lesson I learned was trust in God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and let him do what's got to be done. Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to this bigger question. What are the biggest lessons in leadership from Micah 6.8? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks to our guest today, Andrew Scipioni. Pleasure, Rob. Thank you. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.